So yes, like I said, my name's Jonah. If you haven't met me before, um, and I'm married to my beautiful wife, Sarah, sitting over there. Three months and a bit. (laughs) Um, And I'm also a scripture teacher. Okay, so I want to paint a picture for you. Like, scripture's been a little bit different the last couple of years because of COVID. It's been tricky, but let me just put you inside the mind, all right, of a year eight kid at Jamison High School. You are taking on that identity right now. I'm painting a picture for you. It's a Friday, okay? It's the last day of your school week. You walk into school tired. You're so done. Your best friend was sick and they didn't come to school and you ask yourself, why am I even here? What's the point if my best friend's not here? Seriously, like what am I doing here? You didn't complete the task that your English teacher had assigned for you to do and so you have to sit in at recess to complete it instead of having fun with your friend. Oh, wait, that's right. They're not even here. And then it's third period, it's maths, and you open your packet of chips that you would have had at recess time, but then Miss Clark yells at you for opening food in her classroom, how dare you, and tells you to move to a seat at the front so she can keep an eye on you. And you're hungry, and you're tired and bored, and you can't focus, but it's okay, because next period, next period, it's your favourite class ever. Sport. You thought I was going to say scripture, didn't you? (laughs) No, it's sport. Nothing replaces sport. Uh, As soon as the bell rings, you run out of the class and in the distance you hear, the bell does not dismiss you, I dismiss you. But it's too late. You're running as fast as you can to the Oval because it's time for sport. And you want to find out what fun activity you are going to get to do today. And so you get down there, the excitement is tangible. It's like you can almost feel the adrenaline coursing through your body, ready to throw something, kick something, run as fast as you can. I don't care what it is, I'm so excited. And instead of seeing Mr. Bryce, your sports teacher, you see some young dude with a try-hard beard and a satchel, and he says, we're going to B3, I'm taking you for scripture. To answer your question, you may be asking yourself, no, it's not fun to have 30 kids death stare you. And now, aside from the two girls at the front of the class uh, who say I rescued them from sport, I have to somehow make the whole class forget the irreparable wound I've just afflicted upon them by taking them away from the one thing that made school matter to them on that Friday. So I like to start with a cool story. (laughs) Now, hopefully this group of people isn't burning with rage against me Uh, so it should be a little easier to communicate. But either way, can I start with a quick story? That's that's like a no at Scripture if the response... Can I start with a quick story? That's good, thank you. All right. This is a true story. I was around 12 years old, and I was over at my friend Aaron's house, Aaron Fanning, and we were keen to go and bomb this hill near his house on our longboards. So we head to the top of the hill, looking at what's before us. Cars parked on either side of the road, driveways concealed by these cars, concrete sidewalks, an ever-increasing steepness to this road, our kitted-out protection gear of, obviously, long sleeve shirts and long pants. That's, that's how you'd be safe. Nothing else. But aside from all this, there was one glaring reality that should have stopped us without a second thought. The end of this steep descent of a road, only a few metres after it levels out, is just a T-intersection. Like, it just stops. So you don't need to have a degree to understand that I'm just going to run into the end and there's no way I can stop if I pick up that much speed. But I was 12, and so fortunately, all knowledge and wisdom and skill and complete and utter invulnerability to all danger had been granted unto me. What was there to fear? 
So we started the drop. The speed was like nothing I'd ever felt before. And you see, at any point in all my previous rides with my longboard, if I wanted to stop, I could choose to do so at any point by carefully and awkwardly putting my foot on the ground until it kind of slowed down a bit and then I was safe. Or if not that, to at least just drive off into, like aim onto the grass that's on the, either side of the road because that's what it's like around where I live. But no, cars, sidewalks, curbs, T-intersections, this was different. There was no outs. I was going so fast that I didn't feel like I could even swerve to slow down anymore. I had surpassed the point of absolute no return, okay? The speed was too high. There's no stopping now. There's nothing I can do. (laughs) I'm going to die or something. I don't know. And that's when I felt it for the first time. Death wobbles. Death wobbles. I'd only heard of them in stories. (laughs) but never had I gone fast enough to feel them for myself. You see, once you reach this threshold of speed on a longboard, the trucks that hold the wheels are much looser than a skateboard, allowing you to, you know, very cool and calm, like, you know, you, you, you lean to, to steer it. But if they were too loose, then once you reach this certain speed threshold, then any slight lean that you applied to the board translated very aggressively to a snapback in the other direction if you weren't really deliberate and really professional. And I was 12, so I thought I was, but alas, yeah. So I started correcting, correcting, correcting. And, I, and now I'm not even, I'm not controlling the board. I'm not doing anything. And it's just starting to go like this. And I'm shaking and I'm thinking, there's got to be some way to stop this. And completely against my will, it starts this unending cycle of correcting, leaning, correcting, leaning, faster, tighter, tighter. The death wobbles had set in and there was no escape. Eventually, I had no control over the board whatsoever. Absolutely zero. I was victim to whatever it decided to do. And at the moment, that was shake like that. So eventually, it just flung itself from underneath me and I collapsed and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. And I experienced firsthand the incredibly effective uh, protective layer of fabric. No, it didn't do anything. All ripped up, holes, holes in the shirt, holes in the pants, holes in the flesh. Mum was very happy about it. And, you know, Aaron, he yells past me, falls over, exactly the same thing. Mum was thrilled. (laughs) And it was hard to realise as I barreled down this hill faster than I'd ever experienced in all of my life that I was truly and completely and utterly and absolutely out of control. No control, not even a little bit. I may as well have been sitting in a car with no pedals, no steering wheel, and just like, okay, like, here we go. Or even the same with that scripture class. Like, when I take a scripture class from sport, it's so different to when I take them from English because they love me when I take them from English. But when you take them from sport, no control. You have to tell the best story ever to win their attention and to win their respect. This lack of control. You know, but we experience this feeling a lot in life this lack of control, it just kind of comes hand in hand with life. Sometimes completely and utterly out of control, and other times it's just a subtle feeling, just like a slight faint ache in the back of your head that you hardly notice is there. But sometimes it's glaring and it's terrifying and it can come from anything in life, this feeling of losing control or no control. It could be a situation, a moment, a long-term challenge we face, a global pandemic perhaps, (laughs) a financial battle, a skill we just can't master, 
a trial in a relationship, a sickness that won't go away, a fight you can't win, a loss of someone you love, a lack of direction, a set of rules or restrictions, a deep fear, change. Look, the bottom line is, life on earth is hevel. Hevel. Hevel is a Hebrew word, and its literal meaning is like vapor, smoke, mist. That's what it means on a concrete level. Vapor, smoke, mist, hevel. It's like the smoke pouring from a campfire. I can faintly see it there, but when I reach out to touch it, it's gone. I can't feel it. Hevel, like a thick mist settling over a road, obscuring my vision, blurring the way, making it hard to see what's ahead. Hevel, like a fine mist in the air. One minute it's there and the next it's just gone. Hevel, it's fleeting, vague, unreachable. It's an enigma. The book of Ecclesiastes is centered around this one word, fly, (laughs) Uh, hevel. It appears in the book 38 times, 38 times. It's not a massive book, it's only 12 chapters. The book of Ecclesiastes, hevel, vapor, mist, smoke. And you know, it's translated in the scriptures to words today like vanity, meaningless, nonsense, futility, Ecclesiastes is a member of the wisdom literature in the Bible, and it comes right after Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is all about wisdom, seeking wisdom, chasing after it, attaining wisdom at every cost. But with this book, Ecclesiastes, it just takes a drastic turn in a very different direction. There's two characters in this book. There's the author. He's a bit like an anonymous narrator who starts off the book by introducing us to the other character, who is called the teacher. Other translations have also called this other kind of anonymous character the critic or the preacher. The word used to describe him literally means a collector. And aside from the word hevel in this book, the teacher makes mention of the term under the sun a lot, everything under the sun. And the main theme of this book, Ecclesiastes, are you ready, is everything under the sun is hevel. Which, to modern day terms, basically equates to life is meaningless. You've got some context. Let me read you the first part of Ecclesiastes. And this is the author writing the perspective of the teacher. These are the words of the teacher. King David's son who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless. That's that word, hevel. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, 
here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. (laughs) Nothing like that to pick your spirits up. Come on. Woo. And I prayed at the start, like, you know, pierce deep, but it's like, okay, (laughs) all right. (laughs) So we learn very quickly, like instantly, before the first chapter is over, that the teacher figure in this um, book has a pretty hard perspective on life. And as this book continues, he goes through these lists of things, everything under the sun, work, wealth, pleasure, wisdom, time, politics, power, the future, even righteousness, and ultimately life itself. He says it's all hevel. It's all vanity. It's all smoke blown away in the wind. So let's cut to the chase here because obviously I'm not going to stand here and tell you the only things are you should wear safety when going down a sea pill and life is meaningless also, by the way. That's not it. At the end of Ecclesiastes, we hear from the author again, that guy that we haven't really heard much from in this book. He kind of pops his head in at the start to introduce the teacher, but then he backs away. And the teacher just lists all of these horrible hard truths of life, you know, oh, you'll make, you work all your life for money, but guess what? One day it's all gone. So what's the point? Maybe pleasure is the point of life and I just seek pleasure and enjoyment and drinking and eating and being merry, but no, that all fades away too. And the teacher just lists off everything under the sun. It's all mist. It's all hevel. It's all meaningless. And so at the end, we hear from the author again, and as he closes this book, he gives a few final thoughts on what the teacher has said and a little bit of advice, and then he just closes with this. This is the last part of the book, Ecclesiastes. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. End. (laughs) (laughs) Proverbs is, is very different to that. And you read Proverbs and you get this kind of like inspired feeling of, you know what? I'm going to spend my life chasing after wisdom because there's so much good that can come from it. And then it goes to the next book and he goes, wisdom is meaningless. It's hevel. Blown away in the wind. It's mean, it's just nothing. Fear God and obey his commands. Now, let me ask you something. Do you believe God is in control? Do you truly, deeply, fully believe that God is in control? The automatic answer for a lot of people is yes. Yes, I believe that. But just stop, reassess, analyze yourself. Do I really believe that God is in control? I feel like I do, seriously. I really do. I honestly believe that God is in control. I do. But when I consider that the only evidence of that belief is my actions in my life, sometimes I feel like I need to double check. Yes, I believe God is in control, but... Sometimes my life doesn't seem to show that. All of my striving and my working 
Am I chasing after the pleasures of this world? Am, am I trying to be the one in control? Am I trying to steer this ship of my life? Am I trying to set my trajectory? Do I believe really that I can grab hold of my life and steer it? It's Hevel. Smoke, mist. You know, there's nothing wrong with these things I spend my time doing, but sometimes I feel like I have to remind myself that I am being terribly deceived if I believe I am in total control of my life. And if you want a revelation of that, then read through the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes because it'll remind you. It's heavy. But there is a beautiful and freeing truth hidden in the veil of heaviness that is Ecclesiastes. Okay? Everything under the sun is heaven. But God, he's not under the sun. Everything under the sun is smoke and mist, but not God. Everything we chase in life is like mist that will disappear, but not God. Everything I do to gain control over my life fades away like it's nothing. But God, he is the one who is truly in control. And the revelation I've had is not one of depression. Life is meaningless. You can really seriously come to that conclusion after reading Ecclesiastes, but I don't think that's the point. Rather, that I cannot set my future. I cannot. It's not that I probably shouldn't or that it's hard to do, but with enough striving, I'll get there. No, you, you, you can't. It's heaven. It's missed. I cannot choose the path that my future takes me on because God already has. I cannot steer my life exactly how I want it to go to the letter, but God is in control. You know, like it says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, many are the plans in a man's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So let me ask you again, do you truly believe that God is in control? And if you know in your heart the answer is yes, then continue to fear God and obey his commands. I'm going to ask the team to come up. But look, if you're like me, and you're trying to find the courage to truly believe that he is in control, right down deep, not just surface level, but really to let go of life and say, God, you're steering this. Then let the truth of his word free you. Let the truth of his word free you. That any striving I make to control my life, it's just smoke that will blow away in the wind. God is the one who orders my steps and I can live freely without fear knowing that despite all my plans, it's God's purpose that prevails. Life is simple when I don't have to control it. Makes me think of Pastor Jack's word this morning. Simple is good. Life is simple when I don't have to be the one steering it. Furthermore, I cannot steer it. <laughs> My duty on earth is to fear God and obey his commandments. That's my duty. Not to steer this ship. 
I can't do that. And I don't think of obeying the law as a list of do nots. That is, that's, not, that's not the point here. Not only is it a list of things we shouldn't do, but when Jesus was asked about the law in Matthew chapter 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus said, love God and love others. Above every other commandment, law, rule, expectation, it doesn't matter. That's the core of following Jesus. Love God with everything I am. Rather than focusing my energy on making myself believe for a second that I might be in control of my life, I cannot be. It is heaven. It's out of reach. And while that's a hard truth to accept at first, the freedom comes when I take the next step to say, I am not in control, but God is. So do you believe that God is in control? If you do, and for me, this is my revelation, then all I want to do with my life is love my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, all of my mind, and then live out my life to love others however I can. Everything else will come after that. Everything under the sun is heaven. Nothing we do can change that. So, live freely, knowing God is in control. And my part to play, and your part to play, is to love. God, we come to you tonight, and we repent of a heart that tries to be in control that tries to steer the course of our life where we want it to go according to our plans. And we recognize life can't be controlled by us. It's heaven. It's fleeting. The plans in my heart, they're smoke in the wind. God, it is your plans that prevail. And tonight I let go. I submit I submit to the control over my life that I want you to have. And God, I pray and I ask that your Holy Spirit would help me to let go when I'm holding on to things too tightly, to allow you to position my steps, to point me to the next thing I need to do. You are in control. You are in control. Amen.